And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. David Haggerty, it's 2022. Not to be mistaken with 2020 T-O-O, it is 2022. I can't even believe that we're here right now. How does it feel? <laughs> does it feel like everything and more? I mean, I, I, as I listened back to the last podcast episode, I like realized that I was referring to like things that I was doing with my hands, which what do obviously you mean? doesn't work on oh. audio. Oh. I'd be like, you know, like one end of the spectrum. What are, I'm like, yes, people can't see me. What David, they doing? can't. You also love, you're someone who's very fidgety like me, and you love like having a pen uh, in as your I'm, hand. I'm like playing with something yeah. in my hands right now. Yeah. <laughs> but you always use the example of like how big something is, and you're like, it's so big, it's this big. David, they can't see what this is a podcast. Um, but that's okay. We're we're as Look, he's putting I'm... his hand in his his head in his hand right now. <laughs> this we is are learning. Like, the facial expressions and the dramatic pauses like don't work on audio. And then like to make matters worse, like I was in Maine the last episode that we did, like yes. recording like with the sun directly shining into the lens yes. of the camera. I look like I'm being filmed via a potato. <laughs> I just like, I'm new at this, but like, man, do I have to get better at it this year? No, but I will say that's what's part of the that's charm. That's my New Year's resolution. Yeah, well, that's a great New Year's resolution, but I think that that's also part of the charm is like, here I am with like lighting all over the place. Like, oh my God, do I have my lipstick on like does my face look fresh and you're like listen little did people know like just on a side note we recorded that I think the day before your wedding and you were yeah, such a trooper I mean you were such a trooper he literally did it in the basement of your parent-in-law's house like little kids were running in to like try on their like flower girl outfits and the groomsmen and you were like guys we're recording an episode right now you're gonna have to leave and I was like this is so adorable <laughs> I mean it's not staged None Definitely not. Under, my life is not staged. I mean, let's be real. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we just, I, I went for it. And I'm realizing that as I continue to go for it over and over again, I should probably get a little bit better at the technical aspects. Well, I will say your lighting is looking fresh in 2022. We are in your bedroom right now. Like we see like all the like beautiness, like your skin is glowing. You're already getting 22, 20, I'm mice like i haven't showered today uh things are going so well. i thought okay. about you last night because i literally my mom was staying at our house and she's visiting and all of a sudden it was like all this stuff all this noise and i was like what is going on and so we had someone come out here and there's rats that are living in our um roof that's a new thing that's happened so welcome to 2022 um very interesting and i was like hmm i wonder if these are the rats that escaped david haggerty's lab <laughs> I mean, that's a long way for them to make it. Um, no kill traps and peanut butter Oreos. Peanut butter Oreos? You'll catch them in 12 hours. You're kidding me. That's their favorite thing in the world. Well, the guy was like, they're not affecting anything in your house. We're just going to let them go. I was yeah. like, good. Like, I'm not trying to, like, hurt animals. We all know me. I'm like, save the animals. 
Um, I don't think you should kill them, but you could trap them relatively quickly with peanut butter Oreos in a cage and relocate them. You know, I've had a pet rat back in my day, so I was like, well, I could use another animal. Why not? Just throw another one in here. <laughs> they are actually quite adorable. Um, I miss working with rats every day of the week because like, Aww. they just like cuddle in your arm. Look at me doing it again. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> people can't see me if you like but if you imagine like holding a baby in your arm yeah like, rats will just like lay in your arms and fall asleep oh and they just like nuzzle their little faces on you that's so sweet well and they get so fat and they're so so adorable. chunky <laughs> oh my god i love you know i went to um over the christmas break i went to uh walt disney world and the one ride that i wanted to go on that was impossible to get on was ratatouille um you know i don't know if you've seen that movie but not only are rats helping with science they're also great chefs so <laughs> it is the greatest <laughs> disney movie ever made in the history of the earth do you know that Annie, i did a I have tv it show it's the only no. thing literally saved on our dvr and annie's like i will not watch this with you like you we will have to have children before i see this like why are you oh, obsessed with this movie and it's I a masterpiece like, the plot line is fantastic fantastic we're gonna have to do a field trip to finally maybe get on that ratatouille ride and fun <laughs> fact the guy who plays the voice of ratatouille um or i guess his name's not ratatouille is it the the uh, what's his name? Is Patton Oswalt? Something French. Yeah, so, but Patton Oswalt. And we did a show together, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the coolest thing in the entire world!" Like to know. Do you only hear Patton Oswalt as Ratatouille now? You know, I I knew it was his voice going into it, and I can put aside things for certain voices of friends of mine that do voices. I can't mm -hmm. separate it, but I think he does such an amazing job at just being that character that I can totally separate myself from it. I, Annie like loves the smartless podcast with like Will Arnett and oh, yeah. Jason Bateman. And, yeah. Yeah. and I listen to it with her and I like close my eyes and I just see Bojack Horseman. Like I, I will oh, never be able to disassociate so Will Arnett from Bojack for the rest of my life. Oh my God. That's so funny that you can't do that. Yeah. No, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've had a lot of friends that have done the voiceover stuff that I've been able to like kind of separate. Also, I think because it's a Disney movie, like, like, yeah. I'm like, well, Patton's not really a rat. So, um, but he does a great job. Will Arnett's not actually a horse. Well, I don't know. Okay. I've never <laughs> met Will Arnett. See, he's a fictional character to me. Patton Oswalt is a like real weird, person. They blend horses and like other animals with real people in that show. I just like, I'm all over the place. I'm like, am I on drugs again? Or what is, is going Or is this just bipolar disorder? Um, speaking <laughs> of drugs, David, we had some amazing people write in about our last episode where we talked about um, ketamine and we talked about psilocybin, mushrooms, um, all kinds of sorts of drugs and fun things um, about fixing our brains. Um, and I thought I would read um, some of them. Um, my favorite thing was someone goes, when I had asked, like, you know, what were your thoughts or something? Like, would you take ketamine? Would you take psilocybin? Like, this was one of the questions I asked. Someone goes, usually I don't take medicine when I'm sick. I just drink water. I was like, oh, I wish that was the cure. <laughs> 
Wouldn't that be great? Like, I'm having a manic episode right now. I don't want to live. Everything sucks. Everything falling apart. But you know what? That glass of water is really going to help. I was like, this is brilliant. It was brilliant. That was pretty fucking brilliant. (laughs) There was someone that wrote a really cool book saying that they are currently writing a book on alternative medicine. I thought that was really cool (laughs) that someone's out there doing that. Um, Someone says, as a PhD in microbiology, small molecule chem Okay, not the brain in this situation. Um, He goes, these medicines could be so valuable. So true. Um, Some people say psychologically, I would say no, because you have to change your mind instead of getting addicted. Um, Let's see. It's not the meds that I have a problem trusting. It's the companies that make the medicine. That is what someone said. Um, another friend of mine said that it's changed my life because I have about five friends currently who, um, are clinically microdosed, um, with mushrooms, um, for their Mm -hmm. anxiety and for their antidepressants. Um, another friend of mine goes, mushrooms have been amazing for managing my depression. Uh, someone goes, uh, a friend of mine who's a doctor says it needs to be facilitated by an expert and paired with ongoing psychotherapy completely agree that's what you said i trust whatever worked if it validated in a proper double blind study listen i'll take anything that works at this point (laughs) someone goes i just trust you (laughs) (laughs) sir do not trust me i don't know what i'm saying um and then uh, let's see uh, and someone the last one that was written that i really liked someone goes if that removed my anxiety and my times of depression i would gladly do it and i think that this is something um that you know it's interesting my my mom um had just done some research um, because I've talked about it before that two of my cousins are, are uh, they live with severe autism and they're very young, they're babies. Um, and they were, t- she was talking about how she was, she was sending it to me and I haven't gotten it yet and I haven't looked into it. And so I feel stupid bringing it up, but maybe you do know about this, that Sanjay Gupta went with a family, um, to be with a child who was severely, severely, severely autistic. And they took the child to Texas because Texas is the only state that will allow, uh, minors, I guess, I don't know if that's technically under 18 or 16 or whatever, um, to be uh, given medical marijuana. And after 30 minutes of this medical marijuana brownie that they gave this child, this baby, um, the symptoms went away. And the doctor said, I wouldn't believe it unless I saw it with my own eyes that this child went from having this, this, you know, this energy like you can't imagine and and the, the you know, attacks or I'm not quite sure the proper language that you use in, in the form of autism. I would say a manic episode if it was bipolar. So whatever that is um, and how it completely changed and helped and how they're doing studies on this. Do you, do you know about the Sanjay Gupta thing? Yeah. I mean, I think that so we work pretty closely with um, there's a large group at Northwestern that focuses on it's like not autism. We're going autism adjacent now, but um, like children that are born with genetic predispositions to like having like very very serious seizures, uh-huh. so like some sort of genetic mutation and like a calcium channel in your brain it causes you to like have these like monstrous seizures when you're like super young. Wow. Same thing. 
huh. like using and like I sort of we talked about this like last episode, which is where we'll start to start circling back here. But yeah. like this idea that like you know, like I think you asked me if you can get addicted to marijuana and I'm like it's a drug that does stuff to your brain. It changes how neurons fire. Right. Here are two levels where like the the pharmacological like f- effects of taking like cannabis products changes the way that your brain fires and then changes your behavior. Right, right. Like just good old fashioned and you know like academic pharmacology like doesn't matter how you get it in your body smoke it eat it inject it like Just whatever it. the hell it is right. like but like you know like in the same way that a lot you know we'll start with the molecular chemistry phd student like <laughs> yes pharmacology wise like there are compounds out there that have life-changing effects in people if you get them in your body uh-huh like here's two examples of cannabis you know like ketamine mushrooms like all of these things that are happening like these things have the like probability and possibility to change a lot of people's lives right which i think is very interesting um i laugh at some of the responses to this because like you ask the general public and it's the exact same feedback that you would get in like a stuffy like academic conference is it really <laughs> <laughs> like it's like identical it's so funny Actually, like if you ask for questions in an academic comment, like the first thing, like at a conference, like the first thing that will, like someone will raise their hand and they'll be like, so this is more of a comment than a question. Oh, <laughs> like, my it's God. Just like such, and for... such know-it-alls at those conferences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let me just, uh, the people just want to hear themselves think out loud. Yep. I call it uh, uh, mental masturbation. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> but uh, I think that, you know, like people bring up good points. Um, there's like a, since we did the last episode, I've, you know, like been reading a bunch, like I'm not doing psychedelic research, but I've been more interested in from like a therapeutic standpoint. So I've just been like doing my homework more or less. Um, and so there's, you go to the hospital, you got an MRI of your brain. Yeah. Which is the most terrifying thing. I've had to do a few of those before. Yeah. Super fucking loud. Uh Yeah. 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 The worst. There's an insert that you can put in one of those magnets called a PET machine positron emission topography tomography someone is some word that starts with a t and ends in a ography uh-huh. um what they're gonna do is like you have, like they, they inject you with contrast like you ever get like an iv with like a different color fluid in it yes. like whatever like that stuff it goes to your brain and then it binds specific receptors in your brain i've actually so had like, to do that put, a couple times so like there's like uh don't quote me uh, raclopride is one of the pet tracers that you can inject into humans and then put them in a thing and then you like scan their brain and you could see what parts of their brain lights up depending right. on like where those receptors right. are. Um, they did a pet study finally for psilocybin. Really? So they see when you take the mushrooms where it goes. So they'll do the same process where they'll inject the ink in you, put you through the MRI, but you'll, yeah, you'll yeah, literally be like, tripping on mushrooms basically. More or less. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, close. I don't remember the actual method, so I don't want to, like, say yes or no, but, like, the idea is there. Sure. So, like, the idea is you make these pretty graphs where you measure how much of the drug is in your bloodstream. Right. Or, like, the pet trace or whatever they're using. And then you, you sit in the MRI and they, like, look at your brain and do all this stuff. And then, like, you correlate the two. And you're right. supposed to get these really nice curves that look like if you 
you know, for my, you know, molecular PhD friend out there, he knows what I'm talking about. You get these nice, really like drug response curves. And it's the first time that showed that psilocybin acts very similar to a lot of other drugs. So like the dosing of like how much Advil you take is very similar to the dosing of how much mushrooms you take. In what sense? I guess I'm confused. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like if you take, you know, like 200 milligrams of, you know, drug X, Motrin. whatever. Let's say Motrin. Let's yeah, Motrin, whatever. The curve of how that gets utilized in your body uh-huh. looks very similar to how like mushrooms would work. Like marijuana's curve looks very different because it's so long lasting in your body. Oh, so mushrooms would you know be what I mean? like, so oh, like, like Motrin lasts, you know, four to six mm-hmm. hours. That's what mushroom would be. So like be. you have like a drug half-life, which is the measure of like how much it takes for 50% of that drug in your body to decrease in your bloodstream. Like right. there's all these measures of how we talk about how drugs get like taken up into your body are like how strongly they bind the receptor that they, you know, are supposed to bind. Right what the off-target effects on different receptors look like, and then, like, how quickly it flushes out of your body. Psilocybin looks very normal. It's, like, huh. a very typical normal drug. drug. Right. And, like, this is very – I'm boring everybody to death who's listening No, you're to absolutely but the point not. That <laughs> the point that I'm trying to get to is that I think the microdosing thing is very interesting. Huh. Because in the light of that data, this suggests that a lot of the – very very low micro doses like the ultra low concentration of mushrooms uh-huh. probably doesn't do anything in your body what do you mean like, like it you just don't has no get effect it's like, like you just don't get enough like it would be like taking like an eighth of a an advil like it's not going to stop you from feeling pain like it's not like the drug that you're taking isn't going to do anything physically. so is it almost like like a it's a, placebo a, that's what i was going to say it's almost like the placebo yeah. effect so at like the very low end of micro dosing for ketamine and for for psilocybin it's not doing anything mm. so the effects that people are reporting about feeling better at those ultra low doses are all made up really like those people feel it it's real but like it's not a drug it's effect. the placebo effect so it's placebo the because it looks like a very, very typical drug there's a, a, a dose that like your optimal dose that you get to. This is why you want clinical trials at different doses right. to try and figure out what, what dose you should run you. it at. Right. And that becomes like the optimal dose. Like the rule of thumb is you need like 40 to 60% of that optimal dose to like actually get the drug effect. Hmm. Like the drug you're taking, you need to at least right. take 60% of that dose for it right. to work. That's higher than most microdosing studies right now. Wow. Some get close. Physician assisted, like the stuff that's going on at Hopkins, like your like gold standard of like psilocybin treatment, like I'm going into the hospital and getting it with talk therapy are above those limits. But a lot of the private ketamine and a lot of like the private mushrooms or like people just doing it on their own uh-huh. aren't actually taking enough to actually get any therapeutic benefit. But it's working. And this is not them. me trying to say like go out and take more mushrooms. Proving a point that ourselves but like this idea of like the placebo effect is very real uh-huh. i i mean obviously we need to study it more i'm not like taking the rubber stamp and being like this is it you right. know what i mean like there needs to be more follow-up studies etc but like th- there's a there's a consensus starting to form within the scientific community especially the people that do you know psychedelic research is that 
the idea that you can take a, a super tiny dose of mushrooms and that it will actually help is sort of going out the window. Right. Like you got to take more. You just can't take a little tiny dose and think it's going to get but better. And if you my... do take a little tiny dose. And it, what like, if, and if it does get better and if it is that placebo effect yeah. and it is working for you, mm-hmm. then I mean, I think just keep on doing that, right? I mean. But that's what I'm saying. Is this the power of a drug or is this the power of, of the like mind? You changing your thinking and being like, I'm going to take this micro dose and then I'm going to go out in the day and be productive. Like, do you really need to take the micro dose then? Can we just work on, like, this is why I think therapy is so impressive. Right. Like, you don't take drugs when you go sit down in your therapist's office. You just, like, talk about the things that are difficult for you to process or that scare you or, like, that you're working through. Like, you're just doing that process with yourself. Right. right. You don't even realize it because you think it's some drug that you're taking, which I think is, like, this, like, weird headspace that you can get into that's, like, really, really productive and functional, but also, you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, these new fancy compounds and, like, old school drugs can, like, change psychiatry overnight, but, like, if you're not doing enough of them, you're just doing therapy with yourself. Right. It's not a drug effect. Right. So I think it's funny. But I mean, do you funny think funny might that be the there's... wrong word? But as a scientist, it's kind of funny. No, I, I no, I, I, I totally <laughs> yeah. understand that. Is there a placebo, like uh, the inquadratico placebo effect that that doctors and and scientists study mm-hmm. when it comes to antidepressants and like you know yeah, bipolar so medication? This is the double blind study that we're talking about. Mm. Um, that that answer is funny. So like a double blind is the blinds are on like blinds, horse blinders is uh-huh. where the name comes from. David put his um, hands in front of his eyes. So to, see, we're, we're, it's okay. It's 2022. <laughs> um, the idea is that the patient is blinded. Huh. So you're a patient in a clinical trial for an antidepressant. You get enrolled for a trial for eight weeks. You go to the doctor's office every Monday and you sit down in a chair and you tell them how you're feeling. And then at the end of the, the, the session, they give you a pill. It's either a sugar pill or it's, you know, Ativan, right. Prozac, whatever. Right. The person who's taking that pill in the study doesn't know what it is. So they're blinded. That's the first blind. That's how we used to do it. And then we realized that doctors would just manipulate trials. (laughs) Really? So now the doctors are also blind. They don't know what they're giving their patients. Oh, my God. Sneaky. So it's the double blind effect. Wow. So there's a third party that will set up the trial who will decide who who gets the drug and who doesn't get the drug. Neither the patient nor the prescribing doctor know what the patient is on. So what usually happens? Do people usually believe in the placebo effect? So if you do this correctly. Uh Uh-huh. You can test for the placebo effect, which is the patients that don't get any active drug who get the sugar pill. Yeah. And then over the eight weeks, they report how better they feel. Really? And if it goes up, like if their responding gets better, then you could say that them showing up to the doctor and engaging in the trial around like mental health, yeah, like talking about those things and like being aware of it made them feel better, but it had nothing to do with the drug. Hmm. So there's some sort of placebo effect that you have to correct for when you look at how effective the drug was in the arm of the people that got that drug. Hmm. There's also a nocebo effect, which is the opposite of a placebo effect. What's that? Which is people that get worse. (gasps) 
Oh my God. What do you mean? So there's like this idea of a nocebo, which is like the, the, the process of engaging in some sort of therapeutic or potential therapeutic uh-huh. could be harmful or detrimental. So, so the people that get the sugar pills and have adverse outcomes, uh-huh. so like they ask you, you don't know. And the doctor doesn't know if you're, you know, getting, uh, treatment or not but they still ask you what are the side effects that you're feeling you know like you watch a drug commercial on television yeah. and like the side effects is longer than the commercial right like they still screen the people that don't get the drug for those side effects wow so like if there's a population of people that didn't get the drug that were in the control arm but they report more having more side effects eight weeks after the start of the trial your placebo effect is in the wrong direction. So if you do these trials correctly, you should be able to see, A, is our drug working? And B, what does the general population look like when they take this drug? Oh, my God. You can look at the control arm and just say, what do people look like over an eight-week study? I think the interesting now, I'm just like crossing wires now. Alternative medicines don't do double-blinded studies. And why is that? They don't have the money. Right. That's why it's an alternative medicine. But here's a question for you. Why isn't the pharmaceutical company like jumping on the fact of like, oh my God, people are living for mushrooms. You know that they're going to pay for this. Like, why is it that a mushroom, for instance, would not be considered something that the pharmaceutical companies would want to be a part of? There is. It's called Cybin at IPO'd last year. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> cut that out. Uh, my my joke. I'm not trying to cut you off at the knees. No, here, I, I want to learn these is, things. The joke is, is that when alternative medicines become mainstream, uh-huh. they are no longer alternative. The second you raise pharmaceutical dollars around something that used to be an alternative treatment. It just becomes modern Western medicine. Right. Some people truly do not trust medical doctors. Some people don't trust pharma, not even medical doctors. I'm sorry, pharmaceutical companies. So like, I'm just saying, I didn't know if there was another alternative type of thing that actually was maybe working. I mean, this is like the interest. Like this is departing science and just, we're just going to talk about capitalism because like. Oh yeah, right, right, right how else are you supposed to get a drug from laboratory to how many million people are in the United States right in the world right. like if there is no commercialization effort behind it mm-hmm. and like there's this new startup company that came out of the NIH and the people doing the psychedelic research at Johns Hopkins it goes public it gets a bunch of NIH dollars invested into it as well as private investment into it. Like that is a small pharmaceutical company. Like if you were to poll people and at, like tell them what they were doing, there would be like a bunch of public support for them. Right. Right. But they'll do their independent and labeling steps and then they'll do a phase one, phase two trial. And then if that data looks good, like Glasgow Smith Klein will buy them hmm. and like, they'll just be part of the monster conglomerate. Right. Like, and when that happens, you watch public trust for that drug go away, fall off a cliff. Yeah. But there's no other way to do it. Like people can scream at me and tell me there is. Yeah. Like, yes, in an idealistic world, 
but in the United States, the way we fund and develop research, there there is no other way. And early stage investors in these companies need to make their 10x venture return. Mm-hmm. So like this is how it's going to happen. Yeah. And I understand that there's a general distrust there. But also like the FDA is not a conspiracy organization. And the reason that it was founded is because they gave pregnant women a drug that caused birth defects and they were like, oh, we should probably make sure this doesn't happen again. Wow. So like the people that don't trust the FDA or like people that don't trust the process, like I can point to very recent history in which we didn't have that governing body and the outcomes were miserable. Right. That's not to say that there isn't room for improvement in the way that the FDA operates right. when it comes to not only internal operations, but transparency right. with other people, like your tax dollars funded Moderna, which is the company that made a vaccine. Like there should be some more transparency there potentially. I understand the distrust there, but like also like I just, there is no other way in the interim and like if you're somebody who doesn't trust something like you look to public support or like you look to public outcomes to like base your decision making off of and like yes the sample sizes with psilocybin and ketamine are so entirely small right now that like i wouldn't be able to say half a dozen one way you know right but if you look at things like vaccines or malaria drugs that get delivered to hundreds of thousands millions of people and the adverse reactions for those things are one in 150,000 right like i feel pretty good about those odds even if i didn't trust Listen, those companies and i totally get and i totally get those <laughs> odds i think that the reason why I always ask questions with doctors mm-hmm. and stuff is for a few reasons like first and foremost like being wrongly diagnosed by a doctor, which then caused the results, literally it was cause and effect. Yeah. It was the reason why I was suicidal and I, you know, attempted yeah. a, and something to, to take my life, you know, and having to do that. And, and yes, no doctor is perfect. No one is perfect, right? And it is trial and error, but it was negligence um, from a doctor yeah. and not listening and just throwing a, a problem, you know, to, throwing a, 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 an in-quote-unquote solution to a problem, right? And then also, you know what I mean? Like not, you know, knowing people that have had adverse reactions to vaccines, and I'm not talking about COVID, I'm talking about like previous, mm-hmm. like what from when I was a kid, like yeah. I knew children that I mean, were like severely Gien-Barr allergic. syndrome is a real thing. Yeah, and I know kids that were severely allergic to vaccines when they were kids and they took them and, and they're still like fucked to this day because of it. You know what I mean? Like, so I have known that one of the 150,000, right, that we speak of where something like may have happened. So like, that's why I always ask. I'm someone that's probably more more wanting to know as much information as possible as someone that's just like, nope, it's going to make me better. Like, that's it. Like, I trust. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I I, I, shouldn't just like, take people at face value. I'm not suggesting that. No, no. Like, and I think that's why we're we having this conversation. I think the hard thing though, like especially around all the things that have happened around COVID therapies, vaccines, et cetera, is that 
you almost instantaneously get labeled as a crazy person if you ask a question about these things. And I've totally been accused of that for asking these questions. Which is wild to me. Yeah. Like, it's funny to me. Like, we live in a world where you watch football on Sunday and, you know, whatever drug company is pushing their new drug to hit their sales quota. Like, the very end of the, the the legal media spot is always like, ask your doctor if blank is right for you. Right. Ask. But if you ask that question is, and you use the word that's around something relating to COVID right for you, you just get terrorized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's a difference between asking because you like genuinely are curious. And, like, want to know what you're putting in your body and understand it. And, like, asking, getting an answer you don't like, and then being an idiot. Right. But, like, the the idea that taking responsibility for your health and, like, asking people who are educated, like, what they think. Right. And getting answers that are somewhere in between yes and no, but, like, provide you with evidence for why they're answering that way should be the status quo it shouldn't be the well i'm glad that you're saying that weird outlier case all of a sudden well and i feel yeah and i feel that way and i feel like i'm someone that always asks the questions ever since you know incidents have happened to me of you know my life being maybe completely taken away from me because of a medication which is like so nuts you know and like from certain events that have happened in my life like being drugged in a hospital by a doctor when i was not supposed to be on that medicine like there's like a whole crazy story with that you know and it's so i always am someone that asked the questions to the doctors and i specifically was so curious about you know the covid vaccines because you know when you're by bipolar you have to know every single pill that you're taking because there are adverse Mm -hmm. reactions with the medication just like if you're trying to have a baby you cannot be on the specific medicine i'm on it's not like an antidepressant it will kill your child so like so excuse me for being maybe a little like by the way doctor you shouldn't have to say excuse me it's like the entire argument here. And it's like, look, like I understand that, like, you know, I don't have an MD, which is like, but like, I had a moment at some point last year where things started to get worse for me. Right. I whipped up the psychiatry team, like had a bunch of like intake assessments and like had the conversation. And I like vividly remember like basically screaming at my psychiatrist being like, I will not follow what your recommended course of treatment is because the way that we normally do this is the thing that makes me go manic and hurt myself. I was like, I won't even think about taking X, Y, and Z drug. Like, I understand that you have clinical evidence saying that I should try it, but just like, I refuse to do it. Right. And like, maybe I'm an idiot, but like, if somebody has that interaction around something that's getting a bunch of media hype right now, like we look at that person, we're like, that person's an idiot. Right. And I just like, it's so hard because like, if you just change the situation where I'm like, I'm the one on this podcast that like preaches to you to like trust modern medicine. But like the first time that I, like anytime I go into a doctor's office, the first thing I am is hypercritical of like what 
that means for me. Right. So like, I'm not trying to like, uh, like I practice what I preach here. Like it's scary. I often feel like I know better than the doctors. I often don't trust the pharmaceutical companies either. Like I, I'm, I'm for the people here. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I'm, and it's not just because I'm more educated than most, but it is just like, I have that reaction as well. And I think that it's important and I think that you need to do it. And if you go to a doctor and have that reaction and the doctor says like, or just like blows you off and like, can't answer your questions. Like that's the biggest red flag to go find a different doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I just like, it is just like this like weird you know, pardon my French, but like mind fucked of a world we're living in right now. Well, like, yeah, and I feel like none of us can hard. have opinions and we can never, you know, uh, you know, it used to be really cool, right, in, in a world pre-COVID, you know, back in 2019, you know, Um it used to be cool what, to question it. Like? Well, it used to be a cool thing to question authority. And it used to be like, oh, yeah, you know, you're strong. You're a badass because you're questioning, like, you know, the, the big guys up top, you know. And now it's like the second you question anything and not in a questioning way of like, I think you may be wrong. Be like, I just want to know what's the best for me because, yeah. you know, I am a statistic, you know, that then, and, and I am a, a statistic. I am a real person. I could be that one of 150,000. I have been that person. That's the statistic of, mm-hmm. you know, suicidal, uh, you know, uh, you know, attempts when put on the wrong medication. Like that's been me. Like there was a time, and I don't know if I ever told you this or, or I'm going to tell this story, but I, um, when I can't even remember how old I was, but it was right before I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And it was after the, you know, the suicide attempt and all of that, you know, wild stuff of the mismedication. And I was on no medication and I was at home and for over like 48 hours, I had numbness on the left side of my body and it got to the point where it was so bad. I was like basically paralyzed and my mom was like, like, we need to take you to the ER immediately. Um, and I went straight to the ER and they were like, okay, we're going to do an MRI scan on her. And I had done an MRI scan before. And so I know those noises. It's the, the like clicking of that. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm claustrophobic to begin so with. Loud. It's so loud. Oh. I'm claustrophobic. I can't handle anything. Like, this is just like my biggest fear. This was at like one in the morning, two, no less. So it was like, I was delusional. I was tired. I hadn't been able to sleep because I had this splitting migraine, you know, for like these 24, 48 hours, like on end, completely straight. And the nurse um, said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're just going to give her some fluids to like, you know, because we think she's lacking fluids. And my mom, when we had left the house, she didn't even lock the front door and the two door, the, the two dogs, sorry, were at home, my other two dogs. So a while ago. And so she goes, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go put the dogs away and I'm going to give them, you know, a cookie and I'm going to lock the door because God forbid they were to get out. I'll be back in 20 minutes tops. David, when I tell you my world collapsed and I still remember this feeling, I thought that the world was over. I thought that that my mom had gotten into a car accident. 
I had created this whole narrative. There was a whole storyline. I was freaking out. I was hyperventilating. I started pulling the needles and all of the stuff that was in my arms. This is like really graphic and I probably should have given a warning, but that's okay. But I'm pulling all of the, 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 you know, vein stuff, whatever, out of my veins. There's blood everywhere. This is all while I'm in the MRI, okay? Because the noise, everything, it was just giving me this nervous breakdown. And... My mom, and I kept screaming, my mom is in an accident. We need to get her. We need to get her, all this stuff. And no one was calming me down. Not the doctor, not the nurse, not the technician. They just, it completely ignored me. And then my mom came back and is like, what the fuck did you do to my daughter? There's blood coming down my arms and I'm like screaming and hyperventilating and, and all this stuff. And they were like, oh, she's fine. She's just, you know, she's just coming off something. So what the doctor had done, and, and not, sorry, not the doctor, the nurse had done. The nurse gave me ecstasy or MDMA or something. Like basically whatever the adverse is, they had, con the doctor and the nurse had had a conversation and were convinced that I did not tell my mother that I was overdosing on ecstasy. So they were giving me the adverse of whatever that is, like for the come down, which obviously is not what was wrong with me. I was bipolar having a manic episode and I didn't know. And then I was being fucking drugged um, and completely did this whole thing to me. And we found out later and I was having a breakdown and long story short, like after that moment and like on top of all that, how the fuck could I ever trust a doctor? I went to the hospital for help. You know, and it was, it was, so that's why I always am on the, the side of like people thinking that I'm a crazy person because I am, but like even more so because I'm always the one that's asking the questions and really like wanting to know, but, but why, but why I'm that yeah. person there. I mean, like, isn't that a wild story? Hey, you're, my, you're my favorite kind of crazy person. Thank you. But like. I like really struggle. So like there's a reckoning happening within like academic ranks and modern medicine and of, you know, like African-Americans are terrified of modern medical care after all the horrible things that it has done to them over right. yes. the it's last trauma. two decades. Understandably. Yeah. When are we going to have this conversation for people who have received mental health care in the United States? Like, I'll have horror stories of being in the ER on psych hold, working in the ER as a paramedic, watching others on psych hold. Like, I am a different person when I go in to get blood drawn or like get a yearly physical or, you know, like whatever. But then if there's any sort of treatment outcome that could potentially affect my mental health or is based around my mental health, I lose my mind. I lose all trust in the system. Yep. Like I know enough to be dangerous in those situations. And it is just like, it's tough. Like we all have our own individual stories. We know people who have had stories. We like can recite horror stories from other people, but like it's tough being one of those people who, who have had a, adverse event within the medical system to then like turn around and trust it and be like oh these people are not gonna right. fix me right so i don't know i like i hear you and i sympathize and empathize with these stories and of people who don't trust the system like especially how around do we change the narrative like, you know 
I mean, I, a, I think we need to agree. And like, I hope that my psychologists and psychiatrist friends are listening to this, but like, I think it starts with them admitting that they fucked up. Right. Like, Freud. <laughs> All, like, there's so much trash psychology research that got passed on as medicine. Yeah. For so many decades in this country. And, like, not just the United States, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, this idea of what people were doing was actually science and helping people. Yeah. It's just so broken in so many ways, like, if you read the history of it. And no one's really sort of given up the game yet or admitted that that's what happened. Right. Like, there are addendums. There are, you know, like, Alzheimer's, or not Alzheimer's, Asperger's, you know, like, autism, like, these sorts of disease, like, uh, disorders. It was the refrigerator mother. Like the reason that you had this disorder was because your mother didn't show you enough love and affection in early life. Like that is not science. Right. And like that has still for so many years, like changed the lens in which we view healthcare to you. Like, especially for like mental health issues. It's just like, we need some sort of, I'm not the first person to say this. I won't be the last person to say this, but like, we really need a, a reckoning and sort of like return to the drawing board and the way that we do psychiatric care. Mm-hmm. I think this is interesting. The doctor that responded to your Instagram comments, who we both know. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to have a conversation with him about this because he's on the MD side of it. He's the, he's training. He's a chief president. Like he's doing the things and the things that I'm saying would likely make him angry because huh. he's in it. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's a change maker. He's doing it correctly, but like, you still get defensive of that world. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to go to work every day and be like, Oh, I'm making change. Like I'm making instrumental changes. Like I'm, I'm moving the ball forward instead of kicking it down the road. But then also like contend with this idea of like the world in which you operate in has done a lot of harm to people. And it's almost hard to estimate the amount of harm that it's done to people because it's so harmful that you can't even count all of them because they don't even want to tell you it's harmed them. Right. Like there's an under report here and it's like, it's something that I try. I mean, this is why I entered the research side of things. Like mm-hmm. I realized that I could do more good working on treatments and therapeutics than being the person in the hospital with the lab coat on delivering those therapeutics. To right. People. Like right. that is the decision I made. Right. Is it, we'll see in 50 years if I made the right yeah. decision. But like that, when I looked at it, I was like, I can't, I don't want to participate in this. I had such a horrible experience trying to fix my mental health through traditional channels, like through working with hospitals and doctors and family practitioners and that it just tainted the world of medicine for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I could have been a cancer doc. Like I could have been a radiologist. None of this would have mattered. No. But I was like in the realm of mental health, I just couldn't be a psychiatrist. Like I couldn't go to sleep at night with MD next to my name working in a psychiatry department. Like that, that that's heresy to me. 
Mm. And like I've gone completely off the rails now with this, but no, like, but this is what this like, is what I I, I couldn't I couldn't yeah. engage with the system. Like, there's a lot of things that I believe that you have to be part of to change. Like, the academic world is like old white dudes that like are like historically racist and sexist. I get it. Yeah, like I'm part of that institution, but like I believe that I can make change from within. Right. I don't like I had been so burned by modern psychiatry that I didn't even think that I could make any changes if I would have joined it. And you wouldn't have, and you wouldn't have been inspired, you know, to be a part of that. I think that that's the one thing as frustrated as you are every single day. And I know you're frustrated. At least you're inspired. Well, I mean, at least you're inspired (laughs) with your research being like, well, maybe there is hope, you know, what if, and I think that if you were in psychology and you were, you know, an MD in that state, mm-hmm. you would be like, sure, I could inspire one particular person being my client um, or being my patient, you know, but but how far am I going to be able to move that needle? And yes. I don't think that you could move the needle the way that you want to unless you were, you know, hanging out with your mice. Yeah. Like, I don't think it would happen. And I think that it's just, like, tough, too. And it's, like, I, I, I think now to the psychiatrists in my life that have made a difference, to the therapists yeah. in my life that have made a difference, it's the people that have also had the same experience with me. But, like, they went the other direction. They were like, I'm going to join and be the good person and change it. Right. And it's been very difficult to find those people within that system. But then, like, once you do, like, those are the people who have helped. Right. So, like, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it is hard to be, like, I burned through, like, seven or eight therapists until I finally found one that was smart enough to realize that, like, there's value in the work that we do here, but not in the way that the textbook tells you. Well, and I'll tell like, you Like, I had reason... to find that person that looked at it differently right? to, like, actually engage and have the process work. Listen, you and I I have that same thing where we had to go through, you know, we had to kiss a lot of frogs to get where we are, you know, but I will say. What's the Goodwill hunting line? Why would you spend $75,000 a year on education that you can get for $2 and 30 cents of the library card or some bullshit? (laughs) Like this is psychiatry to me. No, no. And I, and I'll tell you (laughs) the reason why I love my doctor is because she is. A, I can I can ask the real honest questions and not be treated like a crazy person like I was in other situations. She also does not treat me like a crazy person, which is great. Um, and when there's like conversations about, you know, me asking about other medications, like what about this? Is the, Can I mix this? Is there a way for me to get off the medication that I'm on right now if I want to wean off? You know, what what COVID vaccine works for me? What, what, what works? What doesn't work, right? Having these little yeah. silly conversations that when I've had them with my other, my not alternative doctors, but my other doctors, like my general practitioner and stuff like that i'm being treated like i'm a fucking insane person you know what i mean like yeah, like absolutely not and, and i love being like treated like the like, like the nutcase yeah exactly they don't know how to deal with it and they the way not that, know that we realize it yeah you know i don't think so because most people just like don't care they just go oh, okay you want me to do this check 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 you know i always question the system you know and i think that that's what i love is she allows me to question the system without being labeled, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I think that that's what's important. And I think that's what's, you know, you have to find someone who lets you answer, ask those questions and, and, and you get the right answers. Yeah. So we've like 
weirdly stumbled into an episode of questioning the system, but how to do it. Yeah. So this has been fun. I don't <laughs> think we get here today. <laughs> I didn't know that we would question the system because we had a whole other plan for this episode. Um, we really did. Like looking at the talk tick and I'm like, wow, we've done a full episode of us just ranting. Of us ranting. Story, story of beauty in the brain. David, Um, on this note, what does it feel like to be a married man? Let's leave everyone with that. Do you feel great because you're married? It's 2022. Life is just beautiful. <laughs> um. I personally love it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> It's the best decision I've ever made. 2021 was very interesting, but like a lot of good happened. I think that as I like reflect on a, where we're going in 2020, T-O-O, yeah. um, it's like been hard to realize like I've been professionally and personally very successful, but like you don't get that release. Like there's nothing you didn't get to celebrate. Like it's so hard to deal with so much uncertainty and anxiety and like loss in the world all like individually like making progress and it's just been a a tough and like a weird time to be alive yeah but like you know and like i alluded to it in the beginning of this episode but like in the midst of all that last year like my brain decided to break again a little bit and like you know we had a little bit of an episode but like it's just exhausting. So I understand all the other people out there that feel exhausted yeah. and be like, I'm just trying to be more grateful this year. And it's, I don't know how that works. I don't think anybody knows what that looks like, but I think we're trying. So I'm committed to trying. I'm, I'm ready to live life and, and, you know, really be appreciative of everything we have. I did an interview with, um, that's coming up with, um, Kevin Hines. Um, I don't know if you know who Kevin Hines is, but he, um, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. And he talks about his whole story and what he did with that and all of that. And, and it's, it was just kind of like a reminder, you know, why we need to be grateful for every single moment. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Well, I'm grateful for you, David. 